There we are. <laughs> Everybody run. <laughs> nice to see you all tonight. Glad you could be here. Somebody bought me a t-shirt. It's the Sermonator. Always remember when the service is over, I'll be back. <laughs> when my camera, he, he looked bad. I can do makeup. That was $500 right there. <laughs> All right, glad you're here tonight. If you're online, thanks for joining us on live, uh, live stream or on podcast. It's always good to join together around the Word. The Bible says, as we see the days approaching, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Yes, God must have thought it was important. Yes, People need to get a clue. It is very important to assemble ourselves together. Right. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I sure enjoyed Terry and Renee being here. Uh, besides the services, uh, the word that was taught, um, we had great times of fellowship together. So, and, and uh, they stayed really um, two extra days. They're, they're leaving tomorrow morning. So we got to spend some extra time with them. And that was really good. So, hello, Pedro. Glad that you're out there. Hallelujah. Amen. Hello, Charlotte. Hello, Kenny. Hello, Tanya. Uh, <laughs> hello, whoever you may be out there. Yes, but we're whoever you may be and wherever you may be, we're glad that you joined us. Amen. Amen. Well, let's bless the Lord. Father, we bless you. We honor you. We glorify your name, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. You alone are worthy, Jesus. You are the glorious King and the mighty God. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness, your compassion, your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for giving to us all that we need, that we could become children of the Most High. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his blood that was shed, his life that was given, the price that he paid so that we could be free. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ you've provided all things, that you've given us an inheritance, that you have given to us promises, that you have made covenant with us, Lord, and that you do not break covenant. We thank you that we can rely on you, trust in you, look to you, set our hopes in you, set our faith on you. And Father, I thank you that your word is not void of power, but it is able to come to pass in a heart of faith, or in a soil that grows the seed of the word, it will produce after its own kind. We thank you for that, Father. Father, I thank you that as we come and sit at your feet tonight, that you will impart revelation into our heart. For as we hear the truth of the word, I thank you, Lord, that the power of hell will not be able to stand against the revelation that comes alive in our heart. But we'll take hold of the word, we'll walk in your word, we'll do your word, and we will have what your word says that we can have. We'll continue to grow in being who your word says we can be, and we will do the things your word says that we can do. Father, I thank you that it's by your anointing, it's by your power, it's by your Holy Spirit, and it's because 
as we heard this week, when we trust in you and we declare your word out of our heart of faith, heaven moves. Father, I thank you for it. I bless you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Church mortgage is down to about 13000 <laughs> Terry and Renee put 1300 in, so praise God. Hallelujah. Soon and very soon. Yes. Glory to God. Amen. Find your place in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We've been talking about the glorious church. Glorious church. Some of you crazy people, you've been in church now five Five services in a row. Five services in four days. Hallelujah. It seems weird doing a service without worship first. <laughs> Hello, Barbara. Glad you're there tonight. Hallelujah. That's the glorious church signing in online. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. But talking about the glorious church, you know, there is a lot of strength in living a holy life. Being pure in heart. Isn't that right? A pure heart begets a pure life. And um, a pure life brings about great benefits and great promises. The faithful man abounds in blessings. Isn't that right? It's a character of life that gives strength to our life. That character of life. Holiness is a character of life. And it gives strength into our life. That's what Paul talked about. Keeping faith and a good conscience. That good conscience is right living. Praise God. And if you should do anything that hinders faith or a good conscience, you can shipwreck. Isn't that right? Amen. A right life is very, very important. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy as he is pastoring the church in Ephesus. First Timothy, things are going very well in Ephesus. And he says to him here, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also, and also for the life to come. It holds, pres it holds promise for the present life. Some people think, well, you know, this life just doesn't matter. It's all about the life to come. Well, that's not the way God thinks. He thinks this present life is very important. And that's why he's given us promises for this present life that we can walk in and we ought to be taken hold of. But he says here, discipline yourself for what purpose? Godliness. You know, why do we discipline our children? So that they would live right. You know, we discipline our kids when they're young so that when they get older, they would discipline themselves. The idea of parental discipline is so that the child grows up with self-discipline. Right. Isn't that right? right? Amen. And to discipline means to exercise and to train. Exercise and to train. And he's referring here to those who by continual practice had trained themselves in a particular way of life. You know, this isn't a one-time deal. This is called habitual, over and over and over. Well, how long do I have to discipline myself? Do you get it? 
Well, what do I do after I get it? Keep discipline yourself so you don't lose it. So what does that mean? Your life is a life of what? And if it's not, it's out of control. You're either living a disciplined life or you're living out of control. Amen. That's what soundness is all about, disciplined. And that's part of our salvation. The word sozo, part of that definition, being saved means soundness. And soundness is disciplined. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's control and taking control of our life so that we would have godly living. It takes training. He tells him discipline, exercise, train yourself, which means what? It does not come natural. And it doesn't even seem natural to the unrenewed mind. This is why when you hear the word discipline, the unrenewed mind goes, uh, uh, uh. we don't like that. We don't like that word, you know. Because it's the flesh. The flesh don't like discipline any more than your kids liked discipline. Amen. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Godliness is not only a form of belief, but it's a code of conduct. It's a conduct that agrees with that form of belief that you actually walk in it. That's what godliness is. And this is why you have to discipline. You don't have to discipline yourself to have a form of belief. Everybody has a form of belief. They don't always do what they say they believe, but they all have a form of belief. You can have a religion of belief and never do it. There's a lot of people in certain denominations that say, I'm a practicing so-and-so, but they're not practicing anything. So you can have a form of belief, but there's no discipline involved in that. But the discipline is walking in it, living in it. That's what our life is all about. Amen. So therefore, thank you, Jesus. Godliness was both lifestyle and religion for the believing community. It's what they believed and that they lived what they believed. For the Christian writers, it's godly conduct, the essence of the faith. Why? Because what you say you believe, you ought to do it. If you don't do it, you don't believe it. You have a form of godliness, but you've denied its power because you don't do it. Are you with me? Amen. And you don't have to turn over there, but 1 Timothy 2, 2 tells us to live as God would have us to live or live as God has told us that we ought to live. So godliness is not, I feel godly. That's not godliness. I feel holy. That's not godliness. Godliness is living your life in word and in deed. You can feel godly and then go cuss out the guy that just cuts you off. It's not I feel holy or I feel That's just religious. It's your life. It's how you live word, deed. Word and deed. That's what godliness is all about. Now, they're supposed to line up with what you believe. Amen. Now, there's a lot of people that their life lines up with certain things they believe, but what they believe is wrong. But at least they're an honest unbeliever. Because although what they believe is wrong, they do. They do what they believe. And there's a lot of unbelieving Christians. 
they believe a lot of stuff that's not really true according to the word. And they do those things because that's what they believe, but it's not right according to the word. A lot of people think it's good to fudge on your taxes. That's called cheating, <laughs> lying, defrauding. But it's only a little bit. Doesn't matter. Now, you might believe that that's okay, but according to the word, that's not okay. Amen. Verse 8, it says, For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So godliness is profitable. Hallelujah. It's beneficial. It's useful. See, and, and, and when our flesh twitches at the word discipline, it's because it's being run by the world system that does not want you to profit and to benefit and to let godliness be useful in your life. It wants to keep you under its control. But godliness will break you free from the control of the world system. Amen. Bodily discipline, exercise, helps your body do better, helps your body feel better, helps your body live longer, helps your body to be healthier. Isn't that right? Exercise, bodily exercise, helps you to do what you need to do with the, without the hindrance of painful effort. Because you've been exercised. Like I can tell, I have not exercised in a while. I can tell that. You know, I've been busy. I've been working. I've been doing it. But I haven't exercised. Work is not exercise. You know what work is? Work. work. <laughs> That's right. It's not exercise. Okay? You know, I used to think when I was a kid, I used to think I want to grow up and be a mason because masons get to, you know, work with their muscles and stuff and it keeps them in shape. No, it doesn't. It keeps you working, <laughs> you know. So work is one thing, but exercise is something else. And he's talking here about bodily discipline and bodily exercise, okay? Bodily exercise is of little profit. Why? Because it will fade away at the, end of this, at the end of this temporal, natural life. When you leave your body, all physical exercise and discipline is done. So it's only of little profit. It doesn't say no profit. Some people are like, oh, I just want to be God. That exercise, no, that's, no, no exercise. That's, that's not profitable. It doesn't say it's not profitable. It's just not, ha, just has little short-term profit. And the older you get, the short, shorter term it is. I used to exercise and work out at 16 years old, and it lasted for years. Now I can exercise and work out. It'll last a few hours. Then you got to get back to it again. <laughs> and the older you get, the shorter it lasts. But godliness, godliness has benefits in this life and in eternity. It cuts out the hindrances and the effort, the painful effort in doing things and sets a path of godliness in our life. You know, as you grow in godliness, the effort it takes to live right, the effort it takes to move in faith, see, the painful effort shuts down because the body is under control. The only problem anybody has in walking in faith is their soul that's unrenewed. 
Our spirit, Paul said it this way, in my spirit, I joyfully concur with the word of God. But I find another law in my members that don't want to do the word of God. And that's where the battle and the conflict is. So the more we get that body under control, the easier it is to walk in the things. of. And who doesn't want the promises and benefits and life that God's promised us in this life? Well, get your body and your life under control. And you'll walk into the ease of the life that God has given to you. Amen. It holds promise. It means it announces. It makes a profitable life and eternity. It is announcing to you that living a godly life according to the word of God is going to be of a great benefit, promise, and useful to you in this life and also in the life to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, you can't live godly just because you want to get some profit because that's not an honest heart. That's actually an ungodly motive. We want to live godly because it's a life that pleases God. You remember him. He's the one that paid the price for your sin so that you can even have a chance to live godly. So we want to honor him. You know, and, and you know, wasn't that so good what Terry talked about? The tithe that honors God. In the sanctuary, you honor God. You know, you don't do the shenanigans you would do someplace else. It's the sanctuary. It's a place to honor God. And that's what our life should be, to honor God. And because of honoring God who saved us and delivered us, we want to live a life of godliness. His kind of life. Isn't that right? Amen. And that's having an honest heart. And if I do that, the automatic result of that will be I profit from it. There's great strength that comes from and results from godly living. It's a holy life and it's a separated life. Amen. Numbers chapter 6. A holy life a godly life, and a separated life. Mm, that water tastes good. Whenever you eat pizza, you always have to drink water afterwards. <laughs> Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of the Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord, he shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink, nor shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. All the days of his separation, he shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seeds even to the skin. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead person. He shall not make himself 
unclean for the father or his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. Well, this was called the Nazarite vow. Nazarite vow does not mean that somebody is from Nazareth, that they're a Nazarene, okay? It's a Nazarite, and the word in the Hebrew means one that is dedicated, consecrated, and devoted to the Lord. And we see the, we see the Nazarite vow. This is kind of like the tithe. You see it primarily in the Old Testament, but there are uh, signs of it in the New Testament. If you know what the Old Testament says about it, you can find it in the New Testament. It did not pass away when we left the Old Testament and came into the New Testament. Nazarite, it was referred originally to something removed from everyday life or something that was elevated above the customary or the common. And it was set aside for something special and dedicated. Amen. So, do we consider ourselves as ordinary? Do we consider ourselves as common? Or do we consider ourselves set, above, set apart? That we are above, that we are set aside by God and dedicated for the life that he has blessed us with as he has freed us from the destruction of hell. See, what do we consider ourselves? We declare many times, bless God, when I got born again, I was raised into heavenly places and seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. That is my position in life. I am above the world, praise the Lord. But do you live separated from the world that you are above? Or are you right in there with them? Talking like them, acting like them, thinking like them perceiving like them or are you taking your place you know on one side it's like I want to be above I have authority I have dominion bless God and then on the other side is like I'm right on in there with the world that I'm trying to have dominion over and then we wonder why things don't work in our life you know in second Timothy it said that in a greater house, there is gold and silver vessels, and there's clay and earthenware vessels. There are things for um, uh, honor and things to dishonor. If we cleanse ourselves from the dishonorable things, we will become vessels of honor useful to the master. This is the dedication, moving out from the place of common, being set aside, not ordinary, but set above, by God. We didn't set ourselves above. This wasn't our idea. We didn't say, well, bless God, I'm above everybody. No, we didn't set ourselves above. When you got born again, God brought you above. Isn't that right? So it's about being dedicated to his life. That's what we are to live in, that vow of dedication and separation unto the Lord. Judges chapter 16, you know the account of um, Samson. In Judges 16, verses 7 and 9, 7 through 9, um, he used to play games. And Delilah, you remember Delilah? Very common name. Does anybody name their daughters Delilah? No, not usually. But she's always trying to find out what is the secret to his strength. 
So he's playing games with her. And Samson said, if they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. And then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been, that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps when it touches fire, so his strength was not discovered. Samson was brought up with a Nazarite vow. And Samson's life was living dedicated to the Lord. Because of his strength, he was set aside from everybody else. There was strength in living separated to God. Now, verse 16 and 17, it says, It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. You know, that's about the time you should go home. You ought to leave. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, now listen, this is very important because this is what the devil does to you. He'll press you and press you and press you. This is what the translation of the word devil means, diabolos. It means to continually throw something at you over and over and over again to try to penetrate into your life. And it's usually in the thought realm. So over and over again, she's throwing something at him. He became so just annoyed and, you know, in, in, in his soul. And he's like, I've had enough of this. I need her to shut up, so I'm just going to tell her everything. The wrong choice. You ought to tell her to shut up or just leave. That, that would be the best thing, just leave. You know, there comes a point when you've got to realize somebody's not your friend. I don't care how pretty they look. I don't care how handsome they look. I don't care if they look like they came out of GQ or came out of DQ. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you need to know when to leave. But he didn't leave. So he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, A razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and be like any other man. So Samson, we know the story. We're not going to go through the whole story. But Samson broke his vow, the Nazarite vow. He broke it, and he lost his strength and returned into captivity. Because Samson continued to play around with forbidden things. God, through that Nazarite vow, set him apart, but he continued to play around with the things that was forbidden. And after a while, it'll bite you bad. Don't think you can mess around with life as a Nazarite, one separated to God, and don't think the devil can't bring you down. He's brought down bigger people than you that messed around with the same trash. Are you with me? He continued to play around with it. He was living on the fence. He would not take his dedication serious, and it brought destruction. And that's what happens to every Christian in life today. Oh, how could that happen to so-and-so? I see them in church all the time. It doesn't matter. It's what's in the heart that counts. Are they a Nazarite? Are they living that separated life? Are they talking? Are they acting? Are they 
promoting the sin of others in their life? Are they saying, it's okay, oh, we love you anyway, just go ahead and sin? I mean, what are we doing? Are we standing up for the righteousness of God? Are we declaring truth to the people? Are we just letting them stay in captivity and we side right on in with them? And that'll bring you down too, because don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I don't care if they've got a Christian title. Bad company that does not stand for God will bring you down. I don't care if they're your family. And you need to learn that. I've had to stand up to my family and actually cut off my own family until they got their stuff together. But it was worth it. You know why? They got, they got tired of being cut off. Yep, they did. And they wanted to come back. They did. Amen. So everything that you see about the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament is a type and shadow of what we live in today. We don't live in a vow of rituals, religious form. It's all about heart condition. The condition of our spirit. A matter of living separated to God with our inner life and in our outer life. It's a code of belief that creates a code of conduct. Why do you act the way you act? Because this is what I believe. Why do you talk the way you talk? Because this is what I believe. This is what the word of God said. Now, you know, Brother Terry, now he wasn't teaching. You, you obviously know that. And he just stood up here and for the first two services never even went to the word of God but yet it continues to pour out and pour out and pour why because that's what he lives he lives that just like he was talking about sowing and reaping these are the things we live you know we've known each other for for many many years and these are the things that we live it's not just something we try to tell you well I have a job I got to teach you something from the Bible that no it's about life You know, they even really enjoyed the worship. And uh, Renee told uh, Pastor Nid uh, how anointed the worship was. Why? Because it's out of our heart. It's life that comes from within. We were singing the word of God. You know, the Psalms, uh, that the Jesus, the, the promise of all the promises, you know, singing those things just out of the word. The strength of faith creates the strength of conduct. Mm -hmm. And the strength of conduct gives strength to your life. Amen. You can't do any of this without faith. You've got to set yourself to what the word of God says. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mouth. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mouth. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mouth. It'll start to walk. Uh, line up your decisions and your choices. It'll be a light to your path, a lamp to your feet, and you'll make decisions based on what's in your heart and what's in your mouth. I am a Nazarite. I live separated to God. I am seated in heavenly places. I am not a part of the world system. And you start declaring what the word of God says, get it in your heart, get it in your mouth. All of a sudden, it gets in your decisions. It gets into your choices. All of a sudden, your life starts coming up to a higher level of yeah. living. Of course, your life is coming up to a higher level of thinking, a higher level of believing, and it creates a higher level of life. Always above. Amen. Luke chapter 1. 
Thank you, Jesus. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. It says, for he, and, and he's talking about John the Baptist, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John the Baptist, Nazarite vow of separation to God. Not a separation from society. Not a separation from life, but a separation to God. When you are living separated to God, it makes your actions towards society different, and it makes your actions of life different. You're not separated from society. How are you going to go witness to people if you're separated from them? You're not separated from life. We are living in this life. But when I live separated to God, it affects my life and affects the society I'm around. Are you with me? As, a, as the leper was the living symbol of sin, so the Nazarite vow is the living symbol of holiness. This separation was in ordinary cases, temporary and voluntary. You, you remember when we read that when the Lord spoke to Moses, their time of separation. So the choices are in our hand. Except for Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist, they were separated by God. But all normal separation is personal, private, and individual choice. So although when we got born again spiritually, we became separated unto God, it's our choice whether my mind will be separated to God, my feelings and emotions will be separated to God, I will separate to God the strength of my will and separate my life to God. That's a choice. The spiritual part was taken care of. And because I've been separated spiritually, I can deal with the rest of me. I just have to make the choice to do it. Are you with me? You can choose the extent of time you want to be separated, or you can choose it as a lifestyle. Personal suggestion, lifestyle. Maybe start with a week. And when you get to the end of the week, decide whether you want to go into two. Then decide whether you want to go into three. Decide if it's working pretty well and go into four. It's kind of like dieting. I know, I know. It's another D word we hate besides discipline. A four-letter word, diet. But it's like dieting. A lot of people diet. They do their diet, and they can't wait to get done with the diet, lose the weight they want to lose, and then go back to the way that they ate before. And then they'll go, that, didn't, that diet didn't work. I, I put all my weight back on again. Well, that's because you ate the same junk you ate before you did the diet. And the only diet, the only diet that's going to work is when you make it a lifestyle. I realize you've got to get old to figure this stuff out. <laughs> and really, the only separated life that's really going to work is when you make it a lifestyle. You just may not be able to choose that lifestyle right away. Then choose a time and work into the lifestyle. Yes. The choice is ours. This Nazarite vow in the Old Testament was a symbol of separation to God. In the New Testament, it's not a symbol. It's a living example. Mm -hmm. 
And it was shown to us in Jesus. It was shown to us in Paul. It was shown to us in the apostles. It was shown to us in Stephen. It was shown to us in Philip and in many, many others in the New Testament. There is power in godliness. Living a separated life, being the peculiar people that God made us to be. Not weirdos. Peculiar means set apart, chosen, and God's own possession. Do we show with our life, with our words and our actions, that we are a possession of God? That the Spirit of God actually possesses us? I don't mean in a demonic way. But he's actually, we are allowing him to possess our being. And does it show in our life? That doesn't mean you can't joke around, you can't have fun, you can't have a good time. I like to have fun, I like to have a good time, but it's not going to be illegal and it's not going to be immoral. It's going to be separated. You start going down a wrong path, we're not going with you. Amen. Hebrews chapter 7. So again, although the Nazarite vow is not mentioned in the New Testament, it is shown in examples. And here in Hebrews 7, 26, it says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Jesus obviously lived separated, consecrated, Devoted to the Father. Isn't that right? And notice what it says about him. He lived separated from sinners. Well, wait a minute. Didn't he live among sinners? Wasn't he even seen by the Pharisees eating with sinners? But he was totally separated from them. He did not live like them. He did not act like them. He was there for a purpose, and it was to reach them and to change them. Not to be like them. That's actually witchcraft. When people tell you in order to change somebody, you got to be like them, that's witchcraft. Separated. We live among, but we're separated from. Amen. And Jesus, of course, never lost his strength like Samson did. He laid down his life. Peter declared by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be ye holy as he is holy. Paul believed in living separated, holy, consecrated, dedicated to the Lord. And all of these were those that was living in a separated Nazarite vow type life. Amen. Yes. Romans 12, 1. You know, the biggest reason we go to the word of God is so that you can see it and you can eat it. You know, I get to spend a lot of time with you, maybe more time than you want me to, but I get to spend a lot of time with you. So therefore, we can go through the verses and you can get the verses and see the verses. And, you know, I can tell you about potatoes, but you won't be nourished until you eat it. And that's the reason you go to the word. And that's why you need your Bible rather than just look, looking at the TV all the time. You need to be looking in your Bible and you need to be taking notes in your Bible and you need to be marking up your Bible. You know, my old Bibles have got notes all over them, some stuff you can't even read. It's, there's just so many notes in it. And even in my digital Bible, I take notes and I put notes within the Bible about stuff I was just reading uh, this morning. Uh, 
about 4 o'clock this morning, in fact, I was just reading about unless the Lord build the house, the, the laborer is uh, working in vain. Unless the Lord God the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. And did a whole study on that. And took notes and wrote it down. So that when I get to that verse again, I go to my notes. And it refreshes the things that I've heard before. Amen. Because if you don't get refreshed, you will forget. In fact, most of the stuff you're hearing tonight, before you get out that door, you'll forget it. And if you don't have notes and if you don't have a way of going back and you don't hear it again, it'll be like you never heard it. And you'll be the one that looks in the mirror and sees things. But the minute you walk away, you forgot what manner of man you were. And therefore, you can't make choices and decisions based on the life you heard. Romans 12, 1, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, it says, offer up your bodies. Why does it say to offer up or to present? It, other translation says, offer up your bodies. Why does it say that? Offer up your bodies or to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Pretty much, it's because you don't want to. Nobody wants to do that. Leave me alone. You know, nobody wants to do this. So you're being told through the word of God, this is what you need to do. The mirror translation says it this way. Live consistent with who you really are, inspired by the loving kindness of God. My brothers, the most practical expression of worship is to make your bodies available to him as a living sacrifice. This pleases him more than any religious routine. Wow. See, it's all about living as a Nazarite, offering up your body to live separated unto him, a life that will have sprung from its author and giver, originating from and having action originates from having intimate connection. Let me say that again. Life that will have sprung from its author and giver of life. It originates from him. And it has actions that originates from having that intimate connection with him. So by having that intimate connection with him, it creates the actions of my life. Because the more I get around him in truth of the word of God, because the word and he are the same, and the more I get around the truth of the word of God and make that connection with him, the more it's going to affect my actions. Because I'm having an intimate connection with him. Amen. So then verse 2 tells us how to do this. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he says, offer up your body as a living sacrifice. It is your spiritual service of worship. And you do this by the renewing of your mind. You got to change the way you think. It seems like so is such, such a simple thing. But, you know, it's not always simple. Because, bless God, this is what I think, and I know it's right, because I think it. If it wasn't right, I wouldn't be thinking it. <laughs> right? That's how we are. And that's the pride of life. And that's one of the big three things in the world 
And there's, one of o- there's only three things in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And this is the pride of life. When you say, I know, I know what I think is right, as you can't tell me something different. And even God can't tell you. But he's telling you here, change your thinking. Change your thinking. What does it take to change your thinking? Discipline. It does nothing to hear something different, but it does take discipline for us to take what we've heard and change the way we think. Amen. For instance, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us you are the temple of the Holy One. You are are the living temple of the living God. Well, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? I mean, just imagine if you went by the real temple of God and they had speakers outside, would they be speaking profanities? Probably not. What about this temple? What's coming forth from this temple? What if you went by the temple of God and there were speakers outside and the speaker said, come on over here next door and get yourself a good bottle of wine. Do you think that would be on the speakers of the sanctuary of the temple of God? Well, then what's coming from this temple? You're the temple of God and here's your speaker. And this is what tells the people what's coming out from the temple. See, what's the problem? We don't know who we are. Most of the time, we don't know who we are. And therefore, our speaker lets out all kinds of things. Sister, if you need to leave, we understand. It's okay. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Now that was fresh from heaven, so you might as well take it. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, We have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Conducted ourselves. It's the conduct of holiness. Acting like who we are. Life being connected to the author and the giver of life. That's determining our actions. The amount we get renewed equals the amount that we will conduct ourselves correctly. And we need to always be pressing in for more. Yes. Of, course it's, of course, Peter said, be ye holy as I am holy. Yes. So if the Lord says this, then guess what? It's possible. Yes, oh, but pastor, that means someday when we, no, 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 no. If it was someday then, you wouldn't have heard it till you got there. But you're hearing it now in this life, yes. which means it's possible. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And that we can always press in for more of being holy like he's holy. It's the power that comes from transformation. 
the more I'm getting renewed, the more I'm getting transformed, the more I'm getting restored in my soul, the more I can live his kind of life. If I can have his kind of faith, as Jesus said, I can have his kind of life, as Peter said. Power of transformation. Profitable for this age and profitable into eternity. Go over to chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear and reverence of God. Perfecting, it means it's an intensive word, and it means to finish and complete. It's the practice. It's the practice of perfecting holiness. Okay, so it's a work in progress. We're working at this. We're working to the finish and completion of it. But it's a work and practice that we are practicing these things. So if we are to be practicing these things, keep at it. Don't quit. Never give up. Never back off and never back away. Isn't that right? He says, perfecting holiness in the reverence of God. It's the obligation and it's required to put our hand to it. We are obligated and required to put our hand to this. You are required of God to work at and practice living a holy, godly life. Amen. Amen. The mirror translation says, Dearly beloved, these promises engage us with elevated thoughts. Now, we all want the promises of God. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits. He's forgiven all of my iniquities, heals all my infirmities, delivers my life from the pit, follows me with loving kindness and compassion, fills my years with good things so that my life is renewed like the eagle. We all want the promises of God. But what are the promises designed to do? Engage us with elevated thoughts and free us from the frustrating efforts of the flesh to compete with the innocence of the spirit in our divine devotion. The frustrating efforts of the flesh. Why do people get frustrated with faith? Why do people get frustrated with things? Because they're working it in the flesh. It's the frustrating efforts of the flesh. Why just want it now? Well, there you go. Well, I believe God. How come I'm not having? There you go. Because every time you do that, you're just pulling your roots out. And the devil knows it. He knows you're a three-month believer. He knows you're a one-year believer. He knows, and he'll leave you alone for that time. And he knows that when you're getting to the end of the amount of endurance that you have, he'll come over and push your button. And you'll go, well, I don't know why this just isn't happening. There you go. Gotcha. See, things start working in your life. When you make a decision, I'm going to stand for all eternity. Whether I see it in this life or not, I'm standing for all eternity, and I will not back off. I'm going to believe it no matter what I see, no matter what I feel, no matter what. But I want it, I want it. There's your flesh again. See, the spirit is ready to stand for all eternity. Yes, he's 
But the devil will always push your flesh to frustrate you. And you start moving over into the things of the flesh and you get frustrated. And your flesh is trying to create it and it can't. It's impossible. And you're competing actually with the innocence of the spirit in our divine devotion to God. In my spirit, I'm giving divine devotion to God. These are your promises. Bless God. I receive it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yeah, well, what if you get sick? What has that got to do with it? Yeah, but what if you go Brock? What has that got to do with it? Do you know why you say things like that? What if you get sick? Or why do you go? What if you go broke? Do you know why you say things like that? Because you're afraid of that. And it's your very fear that creates the whole issue. Well, what if things just don't change? That's your fear. Well, what if I'm this? You know, I, I believe this, but what if I'm not able to? There's your fear. And your fear shows up. And what did Terry say? And we've said it for years. Faith and fear cannot live in the same house. Fear will chase out faith. Faith, a confession of faith will not work with a heart of fear. And fear will keep you captivated. Amen. So Paul here is contrasting the futile efforts of the flesh to the spirit of grace which is celebrated in the bliss of righteousness by faith. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. How many of you would say you've acted pretty righteous every day since you got saved? Any issues? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. No, no, we, we haven't. But yet we'll continue to declare, I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. Can't talk me out of it. Because it's the truth. We're working at getting our life lined up with that statement of who we've been made to be. The temple of God. Remember what Romans 8.13 says. If you, by the Spirit, are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, then you will live. If you, by the Spirit, in other words, with the help of the Spirit, you're trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to work it in the flesh. Well, I'm working at changing this. Stop it and go to the Lord and ask him for help. You can't do it on your own. Flesh isn't going to do it. If flesh could do it, you wouldn't have had to get saved. If flesh could do it, flesh would have delivered you out of hell and it couldn't. And there's nothing else it can do. It's tied to the world system. And the only way you're going to get free from that is by looking to the Lord. Believing what his word says. Declaring his word and get it in your heart and get it in your mouth and get it in your life. We're empowered through the word of God. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. The curse was flesh could not create it. Flesh could not do it. That was the curse. He's redeemed us from the curse. Are we so foolish to have begun by the spirit? We go back into the works of the flesh and try to make everything happen and work now by the flesh. It's a frustrating life. It's the most frustrating life there is. It's worse. It's more frustrating than an unbeliever going to hell. When I was an unbeliever going to hell, well, I didn't care because I didn't know any better. But as a believer, you know better, but you're doing it wrong. That's frustrating. You're trying to work the flesh to create a spiritual result that will manifest into the natural. 
but you're trying to take the natural flesh to create a natural result without going into the realm of the spirit, and it don't work. Because you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not in the realm of the flesh. Amen. Hallelujah. How many of you ever work with power tools? Skill saw, chainsaw. Okay, what if you worked with it and you cut off your finger? Do you think you would have to change maybe the way you think about how you did things? Maybe that wasn't a good idea to put my finger there. Or would you like, oh, that was good. I like that. Let me put another finger there. No. When things don't go right, you just cut off something. Time to change your thinking. What have you cut off in your life? What's been cut off in your life? Oh, you know, 30 years ago when I got saved, I mean, how wonderful it was. But, you know, things just aren't what's been cut off. Why? Why have things gotten cut off? Maybe you need to change your thinking. Maybe you need to get back to some things that you've let slip. You know, I was on a bandsaw one day. And I'm pushing this piece of wood, and it was a very, very hard piece of wood. And I'm pushing on it, and all of a sudden, the bandsaw hits a soft spot, and my hand goes that way, and zoom, slices my finger down to the bone. And my first response was, oh, dang. (laughs) That wasn't good. So, time to change thinking. That was the last time I did that. I've done other things, but that was the last time I did that. (laughs) See, what's been cut off in our life? Do we need to change the way we think about stuff? Perfecting. Perfecting holiness. Amen. Ephesians 2. Eight and nine. We'll close here. Ephesians two, eight and nine. Okay. <laughs> For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. By grace, by yeah. grace. By grace and grace alone, only by grace have you been saved. Through, through, or by the means of faith and faith alone. So through faith and faith alone was able to take hold of grace so that by grace and grace alone you were saved. Isn't that right? Faith is the event that makes grace possible. Grace was provided. God, by his grace, has provided salvation, provided the infilling of the Holy Spirit, provided all the blessings and all the promises, and gave you and allowed you to partake of everything that you do not deserve. Glory to God. Everything we don't deserve, God has given to us. Not because of us, but because of his love for us. And that's what grace has provided. 
But it's through faith that we take hold of that grace. Isn't that right? If I travel from Florida to Texas, I travel by car and by car alone. But I did so because I learned to drive a car. Because I learned to drive a car, I could travel by car and by car alone. If I did not learn to drive a car, then I couldn't use a car. If I learned to drive a car, but there was not a car that I was connected with, then my learning is useless. Then it doesn't matter what I learned, there's no car. The ability to drive does not get me to Texas. The car gets me to Texas, and the car alone gets me to Texas. So in the same way, if I believe the Word of God, but there's no grace to attach to, then learning is useless. Or if I do not learn the Word of God to have faith, then I cannot use the grace that's been provided. In either case, there must be a connection of faith to grace, just like there is a car to a driver. Faith or driving is the avenue to use the grace or the car. Grace is the provided vehicle to reach your destination. How do I get into that car? Driver's license. Faith. Faith gets into the vehicle of grace that brings me to the provided destination. And what does flesh do? Flesh sits in the back seat for the whole trip and goes, are we there yet? 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 Aren't we there yet? How long is this going to take? I'm getting hungry. You know, are we there yet? That's what flesh does. And that's what your flesh does. How come it's not here yet? How come I don't have it yet? How come it's not produced yet? How come it hasn't happened yet? That's your flesh. That is not your spirit. Your spirit is in the car, and it's headed to the destination and will not quit. If it takes all eternity, it will not quit. Why? Because your spirit is eternal. There is no time in your spirit. It's only in your flesh, and it's your flesh that gets all worked up and frustrated, wanting to know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you need to do like you did with your kids. Shut up. I'll tell you when we get there. Amen. This process works on every part of salvation and living by faith that attaches to grace. To live a life of holiness is a gracious life, but you can't attach to it except by faith. By faith are you saved. The word saved means delivered. It's a divine salvation to be protected, to be healed, to be sound, to be preserved. Now, I didn't make that up. That's what the Greek word, word means for saved. The Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O. Delivered, protected, healed, sound, preserved. Divine salvation. Yeah. By grace are you saved. By grace are you protected. By grace are you delivered. By grace are you healed. By grace are you sound. Oh, thank you, Lord. By grace, I have these things. How do you attach to it? That's the vehicle. And that's the goal. But how do you attach to it? You got to get in the vehicle of grace by or through faith. 
Through faith, you get in the vehicle of grace to take you to the destination of deliverance, protection, healing, soundness, wholeness. Amen. Glory to God. Perfecting holiness. It's by grace, not by the flesh. Grace is a vehicle. Flesh is a vehicle. Flesh produces what you can produce. Grace produces what you cannot produce. It's not based on natural things because it says not of yourself. It's not of your flesh. You can't do it. It's impossible. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, there is salvation, deliverance, healing, protection, soundness, wholeness, wellness, all by grace. But it's through faith and not of yourself. By yourself, you can't be healed. By yourself, you can't be delivered. By yourself, you won't be protected. Not divine protection, not divine healing, not divine soundness, not divine uh, uh, deliverance. No. And all yours will produce, all flesh will produce is a temporary relief, but not a deliverance. And it won't produce healing. It'll just cover up your symptoms. It is not of yourself. Just like grace, the car you drove to Texas was provided. Oh, no, pastor, it wasn't provided for me. I mean, I had to pay for that. Excuse me. Excuse me. Did you invent the car? Did you produce the car? Did you manufacture the car? Did you build it? Did you work the assembly plant so it could be built? Did you hire workers to build the car? Did you pay their salaries? No. All you did is what was possible for you. But you didn't provide it. You got a driver's license. That's all you did. You got a driver's license. And you got into the vehicle of grace. All you did was believe what the word of God says. You did nothing to make that word come about. You did not go to hell. You did not live a sinless, spotless life so that you could be the sinless lamb that was slain. Shed your blood, pay the price, bear away the curse, pay the ransom for your sin so that you could be delivered out of hell. You did none of that. Don't tell me faith is hard. It's your unrenewed mind, your lazy, unrenewed mind. That's all it is. That don't want to discipline and do what's necessary. You know, I mean, things are really bad now. You don't even have to go to a car dealership. Oh, I didn't go to no car dealership. I mean, you know, I'd have to get in a car. I'd have to go down to the dealership. I'm going to have to talk to somebody. I'm going to have to work out a contract to buy. Oh, I don't do any of that. I just get online and buy my car and vroom, vroom, vroom. There, I got one. (laughs) If we get any lazier, I don't know what the heck we're going to do. I'm serious. Oh, I don't like dealing with those people. Maybe they don't like dealing with you. (laughs) But my goodness, if things get any simpler, 
We just continually get worse and worse. And worse. I mean, I'm guilty. You know, Amazon has become such a an easy deal, you know. And then, uh, you know, Amazon don't have something. You got to order it someplace else. And you order it, and two days later, Pastor Ned goes, where's the thing? And I'm like, well, I, I couldn't order it from Amazon, you know, and it's going to take longer to get. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, because it becomes such a habit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I come over to this side. <laughs> but it becomes such a habit of, of doing those things, you know. And uh, what happens is that you don't want to go back to the, the other way. And then, uh, you know. Just the other day, Pastor Ned said, I need to get something, but I need to go to the store to get it. And the store was at the north end of Port Charlotte. Now, where I used to live, that was five minutes away. Now, I've got to come out of the boonies to get up there. You know. Dear Lord. You know, we used to leave the office every day. And as we would drive out of the driveway, I'd say to Pastor Nid, is there any place you want to go? Anything you want to do before we go home? And we'd go to several places. And we'd leave here at 3 o'clock, maybe not get home till 5, 5.30. Now it's like, okay, let's go upstairs. We're done. Don't even leave the building. You know. <laughs> I have a driver's license, it's just that I don't get to use the car much anymore. <laughs> Thank God for men's breakfast on Saturday. I'm driving there Saturday, glory to God. <laughs> I don't know how I got on that. Lazy. So now that we're able to drive, we have a driver's license. That's what we're able to do. We were able to go get the driver's license. Now we can drive the provided vehicle, the vehicle of grace through faith. Isn't that right? By the author and the giver of life, the inventor, we are able to have a vehicle called grace. Salvation, healing, deliverance, wholeness, soundness, protection, righteousness, holiness, and we enjoy it because we have attained a driver's license called faith. And you know, your driver's license isn't good forever. And that word you believe isn't good forever. You got to get that word renewed on the inside of you. Because remember what Terry said, the word that you had in your heart starts to get up into your head and you're still saying the same thing, but you're not believing it anymore. It's not coming out from your spirit anymore. Now it's just a ritual or a recital out of your head. And there's a major difference. One gives life, one does not. We cannot say, I don't need all of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who perfects, helps, empowers in order to meet the obligations of the Word of God and the requirements. He provides grace of holiness, dedication, commitment, devotion, enables us to acquire a driver's license of faith. It's because of him living on the inside of us that the word can come alive in us. Isn't that right? Amen. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. It not, does not spring out from works. It is not combined with faith. 
works is one whose actions are not originating from an intimate connection with the author and giver of the real life of grace and faith. Ones whose actions are not originating from an intimate connection. You know, just because you get a thought and go, oh, that's a good idea. I believe that's God telling me. Well, was it? I mean, we get very Christianese in our language that you have to really be careful of. That's one thing you learn sitting in a church, the Christian language. God told me. Well, did he? What's the proof that God told you? Where did it come from? Does it come out of your spirit? Is it coming out of your head? Was that an emotion? Was that a feeling? Or was that a direction of the spirit of God within your spirit? Who's talking? Many voices in the land. Just because you have a good idea and it seems like a good answer doesn't mean it's right because there's what? There is a way that seems right to a man. Remember, we've talked about this. So it's what comes out from our spirit. It's an intimate connection with the author and giver of the real life. A life of grace and a life of faith. Self-effort works are not empowered by the spirit of grace but driven rather in the vehicle of flesh and self-reason. Self-reason is your biggest enemy. You don't need self-reason. Self-reason sends you to hell in a heartbeat. And enjoy every, way, every step of the way until you get there. Self-reason is only good when it's renewed to the word of God. You know, the Lord says, come, let us reason together. Go ahead, state your case. You know, you never want, you go, whatever you say, Lord. (laughs) The only way self-reason can be of a benefit is when the reasoning of the word is what's coming out. God gave you reason. God gave you the power to reason, but you are to reason with him according to his word. You know, when Jesus was in the boat and there was a storm in the boat and the disciples came and shook him and woke him up and said, don't you care that we're perishing? Grab a bucket and help us bail. That's self-reason because that's the only answer that they could see. And it seemed like the right thing to do. But without Jesus, they'd have all died. Jesus had the right kind of reason, stood up and rebuked the storm. See, self-reason is okay, but you've got to have yourself reasoning with the Word of God. It's not just this is a good idea. It's this is what the Word of God says. Amen. Amen. When our life becomes one of grace and grace alone, then our holiness will be unnoticed even by our own self. When you start noticing your holiness, you're in trouble because you're getting very religious. That's the only thing flesh realizes. That's the only thing flesh recognizes is religion. And I'm not talking about what Cherry talked about, pure, undefiled religion. I'm talking about religious ritual works. That's what flesh recognizes. Flesh does not recognize holiness. Flesh don't like holiness. But to your own self, you don't even realize. Oh, you know, you don't wake up one morning and go, whoa, I'm becoming really holy. No, you'll never do that. 
Because as you're chained by the word of God, you're just living a natural, normal life. Yeah, you understanding what I'm saying? So when our life becomes one of grace and grace alone, then our holiness will even be unnoticed by our own self. Other people will say, oh, you know, they act too holy for me or, you know, that I mean, you know, they don't even cuss. I mean, they, they, I, you know, I mean, I just moved into the neighborhood. I thought I'd be neighborly and just give them a drink, but they don't they don't drink. You know, I mean, people used to when I had my automotive business, people would leave bottles of alcohol on my stoop, you know, on my step. I, I, I don't remember how they found out where I lived, but they'd leave alcohol as a, a thank you. Well, I didn't drink. You know, I'd work on somebody's car and maybe have a hard time with it or they gave me a hard time with it and then they realized they were wrong. They go out and buy me a case of beer. I don't drink. I went to a wedding one time and uh, it was hot. It was an outside wedding and it was hot out. It's Florida. And we need, you know, Pastor Nid said, I need something to drink. And um, I went over to the table where they had some stuff and I go, is any of that non-alcohol? It was, just, it was like champagne. I said, is any of that non-alcohol? They said, no, it's all got alcohol in it. I told my wife, I said, we had nothing to drink. I had nothing to drink. Oh, but it's just champagne. There you go. There you go. Now, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But for me, mm -mm. I will not let alcohol touch my mouth. It's just the way I, that's my, my conviction. Amen. Yeah. Why? Because we want to live by grace and grace alone. Mm -hmm. See, I want grace working all the time. Yeah. Not just when I need grace. I want grace working all the time. Yeah. See, the Bible says that he gives his to his beloved even in their sleep. Mm -hmm. But only if you're trusting him and living for him. If you're trying to build your own house, you're trying to watch your own city, you're all trying to take care of stuff, we don't get anything from the Lord, even in our sleep. But when we live a life that's trusting him, and listen, alcohol that touched my mouth is not going to be good. It's really not. And that's not because I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm a delivered alcoholic. Yeah. So I'm not afraid about going back into alcoholism. I have made a decision before the Lord back in 1981 that I will never let another drop of alcohol touch my mouth. And I want grace operating and working all the time in my life. Not just when I see a problem. You have no idea that living right will help you to avoid problems. Amen. Amen. Will we walk like a Nazarite? Will walking like a Nazarite just become a normal way of living? If we'll start off and do the work of discipline, it'll become just a normal way of living. With all the benefits, all the results, all the profit, all the usefulness, putting off the common putting off the dishonorable and doing the things that honor God and becoming a vessel for the Most High. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we bless you. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the life that you've given to us. 
Thank you, Lord, that you have delivered us out of hell. You've delivered us out of the world system. You've delivered us out of destruction. You have brought us into your own kingdom, made us children of the Most High God, made us to be the living temple of the living God. Oh, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, all that you've done, all that you've done. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I pray for every person in this room, every person on live stream, every person that's listening on podcast. Father, I pray for each and every one, Father, for these things to become a reality in their life, for the life and vow of a Nazarite to become that which consecrates their life, Father, that we understand and realize that we have been set apart spiritually. But, Father, it's the work of the, of the Spirit and the work, Father, in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to take control of our body, of our flesh, of our mind, of our emotions, of our will. Father, to line it up with you, to get our reasoning in agreement with you, that we would walk according to your word, that it would become the normal, everyday way of living. Father, we know that it's not by works of the flesh, but we, by the Spirit, in agreement with the Spirit, in being empowered by the Spirit, in trusting in and leaning on the Holy Spirit and your Word. Father, I thank you that the power of the flesh is broken in our life. And that, Father, that we'll walk above these things and walk above the things of the world and walk above everything and anything that hell would offer any human being. For we are the temple of the living God. And out of the speaker of the temple will come righteousness, will come holiness, will come words of faith and words, Father, that line up with your word and in agreement with your word. Father, we will declare the things that the sanctuary and the temple declares. Father, I thank you. And we'll go forth with our speaker turned up. And it will be a light to the world, not just in word, but in deed. Father, I thank you for it. I bless you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Father, we bless you. We honor you, Lord, this day and every day with all of our lives, with all of our ways, for all of our days. And Father, we are such a grateful people for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your patience, for your long suffering, that you continually work with us and continually woo us direct us and take our hand to go down the path, Father, of the life that you have given to us. Thank you that you never give up on us, but you're always willing to work with us. And Father, as a grateful people, we come before you with our giving this evening to bring our seed to sow. And Father, I thank you so much that because we do bring our seed, you said, There's one that gives and yet increases all the more. That as we give, it's given back good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Father, I thank you that as we have learned to be givers, help us to learn to be receivers so that as we receive what you are giving back, that we will have even more to be able to give. And Father, I thank you for it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. He joins us on live stream, on podcast. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. And I do pray that the word of God has touched you, affected your thinking and your believing and opened up your perceptions of life to see things in a clearer and more understandable way. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net and click on the giving link. I thank you in advance for the seed that you sow. If there's anything at all that we can ever pray with you about, please contact us. Let us know. Our prayer teams are always ready to stand in the gap for you and to believe God with you for your greatest needs to be met. Amen.